Please open your Bibles to our psalm for this morning, if you would. It's Psalm 39. It's page 383 of the Pew Bibles in front of you. Um, I want to connect a few dots from our appointed readings this morning. And it might be helpful to you to follow along and re-emphasize the connections that I'm trying to make by visiting the text with your eyes. And I'll point you to specific portions of the text. And you might even, um, as we go through it, you might even throw a little marker of some sort if you have a piece of your bulletin or something, uh, because we'll go through and then we'll probably revisit all those texts uh, as I move through. So that way you can just flip back to that reading. The first dot to look at is verse 6 of this psalm. Verse 6, Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. Or as the Coverdale has it, For man walketh in a vain shadow and disquieteth himself in vain. He heapeth up riches and cannot tell who shall gather them. Mankind is not doing well, is the suggestion of that text. We are reminded, I hope, of King Solomon's text of Ecclesiastes right at the beginning. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Flip over to our first lesson from Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 17, page 508 in the Pew Bibles. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 17. And let's connect another dot. The last sentence in verse 17 reads, No more shall they follow the dictates of their evil hearts. You mean the heart of man is wicked? As Jeremiah told us, he says in chapter 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? If we were an honest people in the West today, we would see the wickedness of our hearts we would see the wickedness of our hearts as evidenced in the culture around us. But I don't think we want to be honest. We definitely do not want to be that honest. After the terror attack on Israel in early October, where the brutalities perpetrated are mostly unmentionable in polite society. We have people over large swaths of our country rallying and supporting what was done. Yes, I know it is a very, very thorny and complicated situation. But cannot evil and wickedness just be labeled plainly? If you want to state the mitigating circumstances that brought on this evil, you can do that but call the evil evil. In other words, can we not tell the truth? When it comes to children in our land, 
the most vulnerable of our citizens. Our society, from the media, to the government, to the healthcare system, to the public state schools, our society is treating them as experimental rats and as fodder to fight their cultural war and fulfill their misguided agenda. Transgender treatment, quote-unquote, for minors is being abandoned in Europe. And yet in America, it is still all the rage. It's being abandoned in Europe because it harms children. And the Europeans realized it was a problem that needed to be dealt with. Some days you just not stop and think, how do we Americans actually believe all this silly nonsense? And that's putting a polite term to it. How in God's name do we believe this and act as if nothing is wrong with the world? We don't really want the truth. In fact, our hearts, and this is all of us, generally want what we want. We don't want truth. We don't want righteousness. We're very gullible. We almost make a virtue of gullibility. And we buy what we're sold so very easily, no matter what the cost. We'll believe almost anything but the truth. Our epistle lesson tells us there is an answer to our problem of vanity and wicked hearts. There is a doorway to righteousness that we can walk through. Turn to Jeremiah 23, just 20 chapters forward from our first lesson, page 524 in the Pew Bibles. Verse 5, page 524, Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. Verse 6b. Now this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Righteousness does not inherently lie within us, in case you haven't noticed. Righteousness does not naturally spring from our mouths when we open them. Remember what your mother told you. If you don't have anything nice to say about someone, keep your mouth shut. And various versions of that, some of them probably less polite. And my friends, not only does righteousness not spring out of our mouths and spring out of our actions, we are not neutral in our hearts. We aim right at deceit and wickedness. That is our bent. We see this reality on the news every day. We don't want to really acknowledge it as individual persons, nor as a society. But this is the status of humanity. This is the status of humans. 
deceitful, wicked hearts, not righteousness. And no amount of wishing away our evil hearts will ever change this reality. Wishful thinking is nice, but it doesn't do much. Jesus entered the picture to change this reality. Our psalm asks the right question right after, this is the part where you flip back to the psalm, right after the part we looked at. Verse 6 again says, Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely the busy, they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. Then verse 7 asks, And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the reproach of the foolish. Or again, as we chanted from the Coverdale this morning, And now, Lord, what is my hope? Truly my hope is even in thee. Deliver me from all mine offenses, and make me not a rebuke unto the foolish. Coverdale said the words of Scripture so beautifully. Truly my hope is even in thee. Our hope rests in our Creator. And after the psalmist's time, our hope rests in the Redeemer, our Lord Jesus, the Messiah that the psalmist and all Israel were waiting for. The Incarnation, the second person of the Trinity becoming a part of his creation, is the fulfillment in bodily form, in flesh and blood, of that hope. The hope of the entire world is ultimately only in Jesus, God in human flesh. This, of course, is where we're going in our calendar as we start the new church year over again next week. We start to prepare for the celebration and implication of the incarnation, the birth of the baby boy, Jesus. The hope of all creation arrived in a cattle stall because there was no room for a pregnant woman in town. No one had enough hospitality because their hearts were not righteous to help. Everyone, just like you and me, had desperately deceitful and wicked hearts concerned about their own happiness and pleasure. But the story is different now. Well, not always for us, but it should be. The hope of all the world has given us his spirit so that we lose not that hope and so that we can give that hope to others. But again, that would be fighting against the natural tendencies of our hearts, which we're called to do with the power of that hope in us. The prophecy of the people of the new Israel, our first lesson states, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord and all the nations shall be gathered to it. To the name of the Lord to Jerusalem, no more shall they follow the dictates of their evil hearts. In those days, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel and they shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given as an inheritance to your fathers. This hope of all the world, Jesus, will bring about this reality. The second prophecy from our epistle lesson gives us more. And by the way, 
You've noted that a lot of our hymns this morning are connected to Jerusalem and the move uh, forward of the life of Jerusalem in this earth. So that second prophecy from our epistle lesson, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Now this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. Note the repetition of the word land in both of those prophecies. The descendants of Israel will dwell in their own land. The king will reign. The enemies will be held at bay. And my friends, we citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem are ruled by our king, our hope. And the enemy can have no advantage of us for he has, our hope has decidedly been, has <clears throat> the Lord our hope has decidedly beaten the enemy in the great battle at the cross. And what's more, we are those who have been called to herald this good news of the new Jerusalem, the hope, the new land, the fulfillment of prophecy. It is good news to those who need to hear it and, to, and if we can help to bring them into the earthly reality of the spiritual reality that we now live. So we need to bring them into the life of the church. We need to live the spiritual reality. And then we will be a part of bringing into reality the earthly part of that. So that as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We live in the now and the not yet all the time. Rejoicing around Christ's table this morning as we receive the grace of the crucifixion, Christ's victory, battle against sin and death, and also have a foretaste of the heavenly banquet to come. Jesus not only defeats death, but answers in our gospel lesson this morning his own question to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Andrew, our patron saint, with a bit of the hope of Jesus in him, points to the only food he knows of out in the wilderness. Jesus, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But then the reality, at least from our perspective, and his small perspective, sets in and he finishes his sentence with, but what are they among so many? He was writing, holding on to that hope, He was wrong in being defeated by what looks like the reality that we don't truly really get because we only see that small portion. We must also hold on to that hope. We must not only hold hold on to it, but expect miraculous reality to spring from our hope. We will be fed by the same man today who fed the multitudes in our gospel account. He is not some vague, general, wishful hope. 
But Jesus is the very practical hope of this world which is filled with humans that have deceitful and wicked hearts and that need some good news. Let us bring this good news and this hope of righteousness to our neighbors and friends and colleagues as our culture devolves and things get crazier and crazier. Let us bring people who are hungry now in this very moment for a bit of the reality of Jesus, our hope. Amen.